0: Welcome to a Boardroom Besties podcast. Now, last week we announced that it's Laurius' birthday, and I introduced you to CEO Marlene Could See George. Then I knew her as Marlene Could See, and we actually off camera had a lot of laughs about this. When I was a little girl, I'll never forget this. And here's the story Uh, I was about six years old, and we were invited to a living room to do some research on a new play that we would do for the church to do plays and to be on stage in the church was very exciting for us because that was the start of my red carpet. You know, it was the only place that you could live your talent and express yourself and get to sing and dance and learn how to play piano. And this particular day, we were sitting in the living room of Ma house. And this was the mom of Marlene Kutzee, George now. And as we were sitting down, she switched the TV on and next to the TV, there was this machine. And it was the first time in our lives that we ever saw a VHS machine. And at that time, okay, I could have been maybe a little bit older. At that time, we were like, what is this? And you just came back from America, remember?
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, yeah. 30 35 years ago to have come back from America. We were like, what? Where on the map is America? <laughs> we- we are from Ravensmeet and Matrusfontein in the, okay. in the Cape Flats, you know. We, we, we didn't know where America was, let alone what a VHS machine was. And then you popped a DVD in, and we watched Colby's Missing Memory. Yes, yeah. And that Christmas, we performed Colby's Missing Memory. We were washing Salty's Pages. We watched them one by one, yes. and we got to <laughs> sing on stage. And mm-hmm. that was because you brought something to a whole group of children Who's never experienced not VHS machines, but who's never experienced the care of someone caring about their talent, about the new, other than what our parents knew at that stage. You know, they knew about going to church and praising God and being obedient, and that's wonderful. But we could kind of come to you with all the other stuff, like, but what do I do now? You know, I don't have a piano at home, but I want to learn. You were our mentor who was also a teacher. And we looked up Mm -hmm. to you thinking, hey, she's educated. I can do that, too. And that's what you meant to me as a kid. We looked up to you going, well, she can do it. We can, too. Marlene, welcome to Boardroom Besties. Welcome to our virtual boardroom. It is an honor to speak to you in this capacity today, not as the laureate CEO, but as one of the women who... I really adore and appreciate it in my life. I appreciate your entire family and your sister and your brother and what they've done for me in my own career. And it's wonderful to know you. So a warm welcome to this chat. I think that was the yeah. chat. Thank you, Maline. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it was so great to be
1: here. <laughs> Allow me just to say that the learning process, uh, me learning from you and observing you, that process mutual, so thank you very much for the reciprocity in the learning mm. thank you.
0: what what was the thing that led you to new when in a world most of us felt stuck you know when you are when you are young and you watch other people grow when you are in business and you are wishing and hoping for a side hustle when you are employed and you think entrepreneurship is so much better and that it's bigger what's the one thing that gets you out of that how did you know being in the cape flats growing up in matricians and me being in ravensmead that there's something out there that's not necessarily better but that will help you to take people to different places
1: you know the the first time i actually believed that not that Matros Fontaine and Ravensmead are bad places, because that's where we have our roots. But yes. the stamp that I actually started to believe that life can be, that the circle that I that I live in can be bigger than that, was my, through my father's eyes, because his belief in education, and his belief in the fact that his children, if they understand the value of education, can take their lives, you know, in a circle that's much bigger than what they, they as our parents could give us at that point in time. He actually helped me to realize that. I was at, I was at high school, my first year at high school, and my, it was then standard, standard six, right? I think it was standard six, standard seven. And in my first year at high school, my first term results, it was pathetic, to say the right. least. Right. And I hid my results. And hmm. they found it long after it came home. Hmm. And I was expecting that there would be some kind of consequence. But my dad said to me, you know what? It is not, uh, it's not such a big thing if I get upset about this. It is more of a big thing if you don't. Oh. So rather... Next time, don't bring something like this home and not be disappointed in yourself because this isn't the best. This isn't what I see in you. So you must be upset that Mm -hmm. you are not upset, that you see better in you. And it's that level of, I think, engagement And almost teaching and leadership from a parent because I was expecting the opposite. Mm. It made me believe, actually, there's more in me than I've recognized. Mm. And that one conversation was the watershed for me. Literally, one conversation. That was the earliest one that I can think of that resulted in in a shift. In my thinking about myself, because often eh, other people can see you can see things in me, but if I don't see it in myself, if I do not recognize it about myself, I think it remains stuck in a place that if someone else doesn't push you or or delve it out of you, it is lost, and ultimately we are we are here to make a difference. In, in, in some space of our living. So I'm grateful for that conversation in our first year of high school. That resulted in a shift for me through the mouth of my father.
0: How do we get to a point, yo, I can resonate with that, I love my daddy. Yo, Manin, sure. I mean, I love my father. He teaches me, because I still have my daddy, right? Like, he mm-hmm. teaches me so much and and even my mom, I there was a time that my mom was very sick and I didn't think that I could learn anything from her. And it's interesting now. I don't know if it's an age thing. I don't know if it's a miracle. I don't know if it's because time has passed. My mom has the most beautiful words of wisdom that lacked her when she, when I was small, because she was ill, you know, she, she had a, had a hemorrhage and, and there was something wrong with her brain when we were small, but it's like, almost like God came to heal her and, now that I need her most, right, I am getting the most amazing nuggets of, like sometimes because we have a very humorous family and we make a lot of jokes. So um, joking me and affectionately, sometimes I call mommy forgetful. Her name is forgetful. Comma. Her name is Ellen. But I'll be like, hi, forgetful. How are you today? And then she'll be like, Whoop. And now she says the most, most beautiful things. And I, I really feel like my parents, Yo, I, I really feel if, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have your parents, I, I, I empathize, but we love you so much because our parents are a really big part of, of our growing up and our motivation. And they've made a lot of mistakes, right? But when they did it right, it felt so good. And I learned so much from them. Do you, do, do you, I mean, you also grew up in a, in a, in a group of women, right. That, that are very strong. Like you've got your sisters and even my sister was a big role model for me. Yeah. What did, what did they contribute to your life? Like, like it, looking back and where you are now, is it, is it important to have a good relationship with all your family? Because that's heaven, right? Most of the yeah. time we don't get along with the rest of our family. Sometimes we don't want to. Yeah, you know I
1: I have amazing sisters. eh? I I must admit I'm extremely blessed when it comes to that. And what they've done for me is they've almost been my holding pattern. So I would fly out and I would fly back into my holding pattern, and I would be caught. So that's been it's been that sense of security that I know I can go out. And then I can come back. And so that pattern would be intact, you know. It would, it would literally be, and not just intact, but expecting to catch me. Mm. Now, money can't buy that. No. My brothers, on the other hand, have been, while my sisters catch, my brothers helps to push the boundaries further. Mm. So they would, like, venture out with me and then just say, try that. Mm. Have you thought of that? Do you know this? Yeah. Have you made this? Have you read this? So my brothers have the role of, I think, like way laying the boundaries or making the boundaries bigger. And then I will try and my sisters will wait and catch. And I will feel secure again. So it's been a combination of of that. So I cannot, like the importance of relationship, I can't stress that enough. Mm. It doesn't have to be perfect. Even with family, it doesn't have to be perfect. There just needs to be a recognition that I cannot actually do life without you. Even in the patches of imperfection, I recognize you. And I hope that we will get to a place where it will be better, smoother, and close to perfect again. But while it's a little bit imperfect, I still recognize you, because, like I, one of the declarations that I do, if, if we're speaking about myself, like I wake up and there's a passage of scripture in Psalm 16 verse 2 that says, "Apart from you, I can do nothing." And the psalmist says, "Apart from God, he can do nothing," and that's me. So that's firstly, I can't do anything without Him, and then the people. He shows up in the people around me. So if I don't recognize him, them, I'm not going to recognize him. Because so often he shows up in them. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. I know relationships is also something that's very important to you. And so I'm sure some of this resonates with you.
0: I Completely. am because you are. You know? Completely. And also, the and I mean, the most basic form of all of it, my dad and I speak every day. So does mom. Yeah. Even if she doesn't talk, my dad doesn't know how to take a phone or speak a phone, all right? So when I call him, <laughs> by default, everyone around him in the bank and at home is part of the conversation. So I can speak yep. to dad and then mom is part of the conversation. And so it is an interesting thing that no matter how much I achieve, right, it's almost like, my mom and dad's not understanding of what I really do keeps me mm. grounded enough to just feel yeah. like I can just speak to my mom and dad. Yeah. I can say to them, I have just landed. Utterance. They'll say, But what is that? And while <laughs> I, like I am <laughs> still explaining it, they say, But when are you going to come home? Because your mommy's got curry in the fridge for you. <laughs> because they actually don't care what i do because they want to know if i am still ilana yeah they want to know how i am not what yeah. i do yeah you know? and what we do is what we do mm.
1: and that's different to who we are
0: i really hope when so. we,
1: <laughs> and when we know yeah. who we are when we know mm. who we are then what we do really has meaning Yes. Because that doesn't, what we do doesn't define us. Mm, mm. Who we are defines us. And who we are impacts what we do, how we do what we do,
0: rather. What was your biggest, biggest disappointment? It happened more than once.
1: I was retrenched. Three, four times and i i cannot believe that every single time it was it was i was utterly disappointment disappointed sorry because there's something about retrenchment that affects it hurts yeah yeah you know and so and i and for a for a season in my life i was part of, of HR and managing people and I was on the other side of conversations where I had to have the neg- that conversation and you understood the bigger picture and you never took it lightly, you know. Mm. I always, there was something within me that that hurt because I understood. So for me, just in life in general, in my career, just journeying through retrenchments has been tough because um, it's like, It's been likened to death. You need to separate, you know, you need to go through a process so that you can emerge in something new. Mm. And just going through that process isn't necessarily easy. Uh, But what I've also learned that having gone through that process, there can be life. There is Mm. life. Mm. You know, you can blossom somewhere else, but you need people. Often where you end up blossoming next, People are instrumental in creating those, making those dots, creating a little pocket that might fit. Being instrumental in conversations, helping mm-hmm. you, encouraging you, so that you don't give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but retrenchment, having gone through that a couple of times
0: in my life, has been tough. The 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 feeling of rejection, right? Yeah. And the feeling of not feeling good enough, because here's the thing. They they decided it for us, right? Yeah. Like you didn't retrench you because you still have the skill set and you're still amazing. But yeah. they decide and I explained this to someone the other day that every 13 weeks I get retrenched. Sure. Because I'm a freelancer and I'm in entertainment. And after 13 weeks, when a series doesn't want you anymore, they will replace you. And after two and a half years, if a radio station feels that you didn't commit to what you needed to do, they will find another Ilana and they will replace you. There's no no permanence in entertainment and it's a very tough industry. And so when people normally say to me, but why are you so bubbly and how do you get up? I have to be joyful about something else other than people telling me what I am worth. I have to feel worth it without having my bosses tell me how amazing i supposedly am, or, or, or even when we MC, right. When, when they send out a request, they can say, well, we've declined you because we chose someone else. Mm. And I do six MC gigs a month. So the other 10 times, someone said we didn't choose you we chose someone else mm. and i have to tell myself every time that my worth doesn't lie with who enjoys or likes me because the other people did like me exactly we don't exactly. we don't all like chicken licking you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> yes. so they don't yes. they don't all have to like us but but I like you, Marlene, and there's so many people, and Laureus likes you, and your parents love you, and your your children and your family, and you love you, and and so my next question, and I know the answer so well. I mean, I remember the day you got your degree. The congregation <laughs> celebrated. We were we were in a church together, and uh, Marlene was the, the first. <laughs> the f- She was probably the, she's not that old, but she was probably the first person in Matrosfontein at large, Elsie's River, code 7490. (laughs) 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 That got their degree. And then all of us went, hey, we can do it too. And then we all decided to enroll into school. Okay. But I remember it was like, they probably did like a week of prayers to celebrate the fact that you got your degree because you were the first to, to walk out with, with a qualification, you know? And so where when when everything else around you, even when the title of CEO doesn't serve you, what what makes you steadfast and get up? What what keeps you going? The fact that
1: my breath is borrowed. This is not mine. It is borrowed. And so the fact that I have the opportunity for another day, irrespective of how challenging things may be around me, the fact that I have the opportunity to influence a space or a person or a movement with this breath inside of me that is fueled by a force much greater than I am, that that motivates me. In 2015... I had a major health scare. I lost about eight kilos in a couple of months. And I remember being pushed into, um, you know, the CT scan. It is a scary place when you've never been there. And you're lying there and you realize, oh, my word, life is fragile. Not life is fragile. My life is fragile. I'm in this I'm in this machine, it makes a noise, I feel claustrophobic. And you get pushed out, and you're sitting in a waiting room, and you realize oh, you you might not be ready for what you're gonna hear, you know, and then you hear news that's not great, and somehow there's intervention that's bigger than who you are, and you get your breath back. That's what motivates me because I've stared down the face of this does not look good for you. And God intervening and me realizing I have another chance to use this borrowed breath. I have more chances to use this. So I can't let it slip. I can't let it slip. And that is my, that is my motivator. Honestly and truly is when I wake up, I realize I have another chance. I have another chance. I stood at my mom's deathbed in April. And that image of being frail and at that point not being able to do anything anymore. Other people does it for you. That I was just reminded. Do Everything you possibly can with your life until you've reached that vulnerable point where others make decisions for you. But know that at that point, you are empty. So it's cool. You can go because you've done what you should have done. And that was, that was such a sobering moment for me because that's literally how my mom just went in asleep. And I realized, wow, she's empty. She's done what she's had to, but I'm still here. And so, therefore, I need to push and motivate myself to do whatever I still am meant to do. Whether it's speaking to Ilana or whether it's speaking to a young child in a community that showed up because they're looking for a little bit of hope in something. There's an opportunity there to make a difference. That's what motivates me
0: every day. your title as ceo of Laureus, i'm so proud of you i i think it's great that you're a woman in this title and i'm glad that it's you and what do you get to do day to day what does the ceo of Laureus do the organization is amazing and you do so much for this is this is the image okay me driving into central downtown johannesburg The streets look like a movie. I just saw a rat and I just drove my fancy car through water. It splashes against my windows. The next moment, the guy says, hey, are you lost? And I'm like, no, I'm on my way to a skate park. He says, turn left, but don't turn right. I turn left. (laughs) And I get to the most amazing skate park in the middle of four blocks of flats where young children, and I'm going to say it, Where young little black children who look just like me are wearing helmets, and the one goes, and then she puts her helmet on and she jumps on a skateboard and she is doing. There she goes. There she goes. I'm like, who did this? Who built this skate park in the And they're so cool and they're not on the street, you know? Yes. Is that what you do
1: for a living? What we do, you know, there are so many angels all around and and that skate park and that program, there are so many programs that does that, whether it's through a skateboard or a surfboard or a soccer ball, or a tennis ball. There are so many good South Africans that sees how they can use sporting equipment or sport, the aspect of sport to give that little boy or girl an escape after school, before mom comes home, mm-hmm. to get there, have an escape and to do something positive and not just play the sport, but while they're there, be encouraged. See older kids who's now doing better. See older kids who are making something out of their lives. See someone who's coaching, who's saying, don't do the wrong things, but rather go this way. You know? Mm-hmm. There's it's it's important to note that these kids actually have something that they can look at because it's placed in front of them tangibly yeah. with the skate with the skateboard the skate park but also with the coaches you know and so these programs that like the one you've experienced are started by good humans good south africans that gets kids to a central place where they can where they can be influenced for good. And what Laureus does is we come alongside those programs and we help with some funding and we help with capacity training. Um, but they are the ones that show up day to day to do good. What I get to do, I get to show up into an office with an amazing bunch of People that I work with. I work with some of the best people in the sport for good industry. I say that loud and proud. I am super proud of the people that I am surrounded with my circle of influence daily um, in my office. They are amazing. So that's what I get to do. I get to have conversations with people who have accomplished things um, in their professional sports career who's willing to give back to South Africa. Mm. So their efforts, my team's efforts, the people who start the program on the ground, all of us, we're bringing a little bit. My trustees, everyone brings a little bit. Why? Because we believe that we have this gift of playing sport and that we can do it in a way that can make people's lives better. That's our purpose. So... That's what I get to do every day. I am so blessed over oh, what I am so I am so
0: blessed to be but, in a position to do this. But do you really get to see Ray Mietlang every day? Not every day. No, but I'm I kidding, do okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yes. Mm-hmm. When when you think of you and your little family. <coughs> did you ever want to be a, did you always wanted to be a mom? Like, did you, did you ever see motherhood as part of your, your journey and this, cause worked really hard. <laughs> amazing. Me, I worked so hard life and now I also want to be a mom. And I say that being a mom who works full time, that also has two small kids. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wanted to be a mom before I wanted to get married. So my mother said, no, we just get, just, <laughs> Switch it around. So I'm one of, so I'm one of ten kids, right? And when I was about sixteen, I asked my mom, "Have they ever considered adoption?" And looked at me, she's like, "Why? I'm still on my own." And then I realized, okay, maybe that was never woven into my mom's DNA, but it must be woven into mine.
0: Into yours. And yeah.
1: as soon as I started earning money, I started to do research about adoption. So I knew I was going to be a mother. Wow. I knew knew I was gonna be a mother. Like as young as 16, I knew I was gonna be a mother. Yeah. Before I was yeah. going to be a professional person, I was gonna be a mother.
0: That's and
1: amazing. it's not yeah, it's not easy to be full-time professional, especially if your career involves traveling. Mm. And I only survived, especially in the early days of Laureus in South Africa. I only managed to be a success during those years because of my support structure at home. Mm. Because of my mom, my husband and my sisters who Remember, I come mm. back and I have my holding because that was so secure. That really helped me in the early years. And so I'm grateful that it is possible to have a career and to raise children. I think women are awesome that way, that we get to have a career we can. and that we get yeah. to raise kids. We can. It's we possible. Can. Yeah, we can. And I'm grateful for those people behind us that sure. can, that wipes the little hands you know, that sits up when we are on a plane and does those things for us because we can do both.
0: With the right people in our lives, we can, we can. do both. Yeah. Marlene, I mean, I could speak to you for hours because I, as a kid, you know, when you observe stuff and you see people, you, it's almost like you, you watch, but you, one day you ask them, you know, and over the years, I've been lucky enough to experience it around you. It's like the answers came to me without having to ask all of them. So I'm glad you could answer some of them for other people to be an inspiration for them because we need women like you. We need women who have done most of it, who have had the children, who is in a professional career, who has suffered and has gotten up and, that are remarkable. I adore you. I really do. And it is wonderful that we can put this out on a platform. And thank you for allowing me to do that. If you could give a diagnosis to the women (laughs) of South Africa and everyone who's going to listen to this on our international platforms as well, what would it be? How would you motivate them? And it doesn't have to be lengthy or long because you are the motivation, what would you say to them?
1: I would say to them, celebrate you more often. I actually, I learned that in part from you and in doing this, because I realize I am not shy to celebrate other people, and I'm not shy to celebrate maybe we organizations come, but I do hold back in celebrating me. And so I think if I could leave a word within me, celebrate you, it's okay. Celebrate you. People who know your heart will still realize there's humility there. But don't
0: lose the moments to celebrate you. Yeah. Today, Marlene, we're celebrating you. For more podcasts, boardroom besties on com.